Welcome to the Diversity in Action podcast, presented by the BLX Internship Program. Join us as our hosts, Luis Rosa and Sean Tidlaska, interview guests from across the financial planning field to highlight the real change that's happening in our industry. If you are tired of just talking about diversity and want to learn what others are doing to make the demographics of our profession more closely match the population of this country, this podcast is for you. This episode is brought to you by CFP Board, the professional body for personal financial planners in the U.S. CFP Board consists of two affiliated organizations, the CFP Board of Standards, which sets and upholds standards for financial planning and administers the prestigious Certified Financial Planner Certification, which is held by more than 96,000 individuals in the U.S. The CFP Board Center for Financial Planning addresses diversity and workforce development challenges and conducts and publishes research that adds to the financial planning profession's body of knowledge. This year marks the 50th anniversary of the CFP certification. Welcome back to another episode of Diversity in Action podcast. My name is Louis Rosa. And I'm Sean Tidlaska. We have today a great, great guest today that we'd like to introduce to you doing amazing things in the DI space in our industry. So we'd like to share everything that they're doing. And uh, Sean is going to introduce him so that we can get to know them and some of their background trajectory and some of the exciting things that they're doing for our industry. So take it away, Sean. Yes, I'm thrilled to introduce to the show Don Harris, who is the Director of Diversity and Inclusion for the Center for Financial Planning. She earned her Bachelor of Science in Economics from the Ohio State University. Went to Michigan for business school, but I think we still can be friends. She earned her MBA from Clark Atlanta University, and at the Center for Financial Planning, she's responsible for advancing the DEI initiatives and growing the number of diverse CFP professionals within the financial planning profession. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Sean, and thank you for Luis for having me. You're welcome. Just to kind of get things started, how about you tell us a little bit about your career path, how you got started, and how you got to where you are today? Sure. I... Think kind of fast forward and really start from after getting my MBA. I worked in the consumer packaged goods industry for a number of years, starting off at the Pillsbury Company in the Twin Cities in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And really, I would say cut my teeth professionally in terms of learning how to manage a whole product line from conception to development, execution, to seeing a product on the shelf. My role at Pillsbury evolved into a multicultural marketing position, and I worked for a couple of nonprofit organizations that are affiliated with food service hospitality. One focused on multiculturalism within food service and hospitality and the importance of engaging diverse communities within the profession. And then secondly, on gender equity and making sure that there were opportunities for women to have equal opportunities to advance their careers. From that backdrop, I basically have done work that involves DEI and different levels, different capacities. My most recent journey prior to coming to the CFP board was working in the sports industry. I worked for 14 seasons with NASCAR and focused on advancing DEI there from a fan perspective, employment, business opportunities, just really engaging different communities to 
introduced them to the sport of NASCAR. And that has evolved to the role that I am at today with the CFP board. Wow, that's so interesting. I worked a little bit in athletics at a big call at UCLA. Okay. And there was like, yeah, a lot of, I worked with the football team really closely, a lot of egos that you have to deal with. What was the experience like at NASCAR working there? And what was the experience like working there? It was a great experience. I did not grow up around the sport. I didn't know much about the sport prior to my career there. I did know about diversity, equity, and inclusion. So I was able to kind of take some of those elements to the work that I did there. I think any professional athlete has to have a lot of confidence. And particularly in racing, you might even say a little bit beyond confidence to drive 200 miles per hour with other cars in very close proximity. So a bit of a thrill seeker there mentality. But it was a really great experience. I think for me, the business model of NASCAR was most intriguing to me. The sport itself, of course, is interesting and compelling, but just understanding from week to week to week how the whole entity basically operates in one city, completely uproots, goes to another city, and does the same thing again. The number of Fortune 500 companies that are sponsors, or even Fortune 50, is pretty significant. It's the largest number of organizations that sponsor an event or a sport, I'll say. And most people who don't follow NASCAR may not also know that it's the second largest U.S.-based sport, NFL being first. It's a huge entity. There's a lot of moving parts, literally and figuratively. And just having the opportunity to introduce people who may not have seen themselves as a fan or a participant in the sport was very rewarding. So I I enjoyed it. I got to travel all over the country to different tracks to where you guys are in LA and San Francisco up towards Sonoma County. So just a great opportunity to experience different facets of how the sport executes as well as different regions in the country. That's so interesting. A lot of like risk-taking with the drivers and pushing the limits. How would you contrast that with the financial planning profession and working with <laughs> financial planners? <laughs> we can be pretty boring, vanilla, conservative. Well, you know, a lot of the folks who are invested in NASCAR are not shy in the bank account, I'll say. So from a taking risk as far as investing and not knowing the exact outcome. I think what's interesting for me is, and I'm sure you all have done it with your clients, when you do kind of the risk assessment, like how risk adverse are you or how open you are to risk in terms of investing, I think it's a little bit of a parallel because we have to take some risks and invest in some things that we don't fully know the outcome of. But we think that from all the information that we have, that there are sound investments. So I think there are some parallels there and there's a lot of bean counting on both sides, on the business sports and then financial planning. Yeah, that's a great way of looking at it. Yeah, thank you for that perspective. So I wanted to ask about the director of diversity and inclusion role. It seems to be a fairly new position, right, at the CFP board, at the Center for Financial Planning. So can you tell us about the thought process behind the why of the position and what some of the goals are? Sure, sure. 
So yes, Louise, it is a fairly new role. I am into my third year in this position. It was a newly created position um, at the CFP board, specifically in the Center for Financial Planning. Prior to my boarding, as you know, there had been an annual diversity summit. This year, 2023, will be the sixth annual. So there was, prior to my boarding, a focus around diversity, equity, and inclusion, and the recognition that there needed to be more dedicated resources to not only ensure a successful annual event, but also the other 364 days of the year that we're really focused on the work that matters. So really, part of my onboarding also connected to making sure there was a point of contact within the organization for diversity of P professionals, organizations who have DEI practitioners and making sure that we could work with them on initiatives at firms to help with some of their growth numbers, their retention, as well as making sure on staff there was a person who could support some of our professional counsels. Within the center team, we have five different councils of subject matter experts, and I serve as the liaison to two. One is the diversity advisory group, and one is the women's initiative. And those are all not just CFP professionals, but others within the financial planning profession who want to ensure that the work that we're doing is really advancing DE&I and making sure that they can share resources and trends and keep us on track, give us good feedback on the initiatives and programs that we have in place. So I think all of those things and just making sure the ship is being steered was the impetus for the role. And I've learned a lot and have really been able to keep busy on the daily. <laughs> yeah. Now, you know, I love the concept because I find that a lot of us that are doing work related to DI in our industry sometimes it feels like we're on our own little island, right? And like yeah. we're all doing our own little piece. <laughs> so it's great to have that coordinated effort and that support system that you can compare notes, right? And see, hey, how can we support each other? What are we doing that is similar? So I like that, the concept. How do you measure success currently in the initiatives that you're doing? A few different ways. I think there's lagging indicators and leading indicators and in any of the work that we are, we're engaged in. I think some of the things that we look at regularly, almost daily, are how the numbers are changing, how many more women, how many more racially and ethnically diverse CFP professionals we have coming on board, as well as younger professionals. One of the statistics that we are hoping to impact sooner rather than later, for example, is the age of CFP professionals. There are currently more CFP professionals over the age of 70 than under the age of 30. So we have a lot of work to do in terms of, you know, keeping that pipeline robust and bringing in new people into the profession as more senior professionals are sunsetting from their careers and doing other things. So certainly the number of CFP professionals is a critical metric. Retention is also a critical metric. Once someone comes into the profession, we want to make sure that they stay in the profession. They may not stay with the same organization over time, but certainly within the profession. For example, we issued a white paper earlier this year in May that is focused on retention and best practices for firms from small, mid-sized to large. 
and we have three case studies of firms that share what they are doing. Some of these things may seem very basic, but they're worth repeating and they're worth reviewing because a lot of times checking the box on just having someone obtain their CFP certification is not enough. We also need to make sure that there are ways that those individuals are successful in their career and wherever they navigate, be it small, large, and mid-sized firms. Another metric that we look at are the number of individuals that are pursuing job leads and scholarships that we offer through our talent pipeline portal. We have the whole career center and we offer scholarships for many people who are interested in pursuing or obtaining their CFP certification. So one metric that we look at is how many people are coming into that pipeline, as well as how much firms and others are contributing to help us support that effort. And I would say the last one, and I don't know if it's necessarily a metric, but just the interest and attendance of the Diversity Summit is something that as a staff person, we're very proud of the event and we spend a lot of time making sure that the topics are relevant and resonate with not just CFP professionals, but also people in academia, students who are interested in considering a career in financial planning. So I guess that could be a metric in terms of who's interested in attending. We have a targeted effort, for example, of students last year. We had about 35 students who were either in a financial planning track, an entrepreneurship track, to introduce them to the concept and making sure that we're providing them the contacts and resources to continue to pursue a career in financial planning. Yeah, you know, that's such an important point, the piece about continuing to provide support to make sure that people stay in the profession because- Sean always says that the first job is the hardest one to get. Yeah. And then we realize that in addition to helping people get that first job, we want to provide resources year round for them. You know, people yearn for that, you know, which is one of the things I love about like the CFP board's mentorship program, people that are able to just sign up and maybe speak to a professional that's already done it right uh, once a month or so to be able to say, Hey, here's what I think you should be doing next based on your goals. It's just amazing. So you don't have to reinvent the wheel. And one of the reasons we started the BLX internship program is to g- help people get the first job, both students and career changers. And now we've kind of morphed into providing the year-round support as well to be able to say, congrats on getting your job. You know, how else can we support you now, right? And yes, I love that idea of the white paper because we have a lot of firms that come through our program and we'd love to share that as an example of things that some firms are already doing. Is that something that is publicly available that we can share? Yes, I can certainly share the link with you, put in the show notes so people can have access to that. That'd be amazing. Thank you. And we'll be sure to put the link to the summit as well, because people can still register. Yes. I attended in 2019 and Chloe went last year. It was an amazing experience. I actually ended up missing some of the sessions sometimes because you meet so many people spark conversations. Next, you know, you're like an hour deep and like, oh, wow, we <laughs> we missed the session. You know, but it was amazing. So I can't wait to get back. Uh, it's in Virginia this year, correct? Yes. Yeah, so we have to get you back from the West Coast to the East Coast. Uh, That's you, right. In the winter, how's uh, yeah. gone? <laughs> yeah, I've got a big coat. I actually moderated the session that Chloe was part of. And it was really about filling in the gaps and what organizations such as BLX are doing to make sure that 
we're not overlooking areas to help people. So your point about not just offering the internship, but resources along the way is something that is critical. And we were very happy to help elevate that conversation last year. Yeah. Tell me more about the summit. I've never been like who attended, what's the type of content. And I think you're the subject matter expert for the summit itself. Yes, I will have minimal speaking roles, Sean, because we want to showcase uh, folks within the financial planning profession who are doing their thing. So it is the sixth annual diversity summit. It will be in person for the second time since COVID. It will be on Thursday, November 9th in Arlington, Virginia. The registration is free. There is no cost to register. It's very, really important for us to ensure it's as inclusive as possible. So we want to minimize the barrier to attendance. So there is no registration cost. The theme this year is Inclusion 360 Profession Planner Community. We will have sessions that drill down into each aspect of the financial planning profession, showcasing best practices, trends, some key learnings. Our keynote speaker is Daisy Auger Dominguez. She has a book out called Inclusion Revolution, and she will be showcasing and highlighting some of the trends, not just in financial services, but other industries that we can really learn from. As Luis said, and I cannot speak to the one that he was at 2019, but last year was all a buzz. There was a lot of high energy. There was a lot of momentum. Part of it was it was the first time people were reconnecting since COVID. But we had some really dynamic speakers, including Arlen Hamilton, who participated in a fireside chat with Soledad O'Brien. So it was just really a great way to kick off the discussion around DE&I in the financial planning profession. So I would encourage Anyone who's listening, if you haven't registered yet, to please do so. We really want to have a wide range of representation. We have many CFP professionals who do attend. We also have people who are practitioners in the DE&I space, C-level people from across the firms that are sponsors of not just the center, but the event. As I mentioned before, we will have some individuals from the world of academia So it's a very broad cross-section of individuals in financial planning. So I think you'd be very pleased with taking the time to come from the West to the East Coast this year. Yeah, I was going to ask you who the target audience is. It sounds like CFP practitioners, people that are interested in promoting DE&I in the profession, uh, maybe groups that are already kind of working on DE&I initiatives, and also aspiring financial planners? Yes. And leaders in the financial services profession. I mean, that to me is a really important component for us to have a conversation around inclusion. Again, 360, it needs to be everyone. So we have actually employed many of our contacts to reach out to their C-level folks, their VPs, because we want representation from the leadership of organizations as well. Uh, Many of us who are, so to speak, in the trenches, we know the importance of this work. We know the outcome or the output of this work. We want to make sure that everyone is involved 
who can either help inform or direct some of these initiatives are also participants in this event. So the tent is pretty wide. Talking about like scholarships, it's great the registration is free. Are there awards for flights and hotels possibly for aspiring planners? So we currently will be offering transportation and lodging to some students who are within registered programs. So our goal this year is to have about 50 students. We had about 35 last year, and that is done in partnership with some of our firm sponsors. As part of their sponsorship of the event, they offer scholarship or stipends for students to come to the event. Tell me just a little bit about the relationship between the CFP board and the Center for Financial Planning. How do they work together and kind of what's the organizational structure there? Yes. So we are, the center is a 501c3. Up until earlier this year, January, I believe the whole organization was 501c3. We are now a 501c3 and a 501c6. The separation is really for us to be able to talk more about the benefits of CFP certification as a profession. As a 501c3, which is a tax status, we were focused on how we were benefiting the public, the public at large. Whereas once we were able to also become a 501c6, we can speak more specifically to CFP professionals or CFP candidates or people interested in CFP certification about what that benefit could be to you professionally. So for example, if you visit our website, you will see more information about what a salary could be, what your compensation could be once you achieve a certain amount of time within the profession. Prior to us being a 501c6, we couldn't talk about salary, for example. So it gives us a much broader platform to market the profession and to market the profession to folks who we want to consider CFP as a journey for them, a CFP certification. We hopefully you have seen or will see the public awareness campaign that we launched this year. We have a series of different campaigns where we also showcase someone needing advice and really kind of looping back to you need a CFP professional. You know, we really want to elevate referencing financial planning in tandem with someone being a CFP professional. So the 501c6 will give us more leverage and opportunity to do that. Like we're all in the same office and we shared resources, but delineation is 501c3 and 501c6. Yeah, I was going to say that I think the campaign is definitely working because as a CFP professional, I find a lot of prospects are more in tune with what a CFP professional is, right? Like they're actually asking, do you have this certification now? <laughs> they're asking more like fiduciary, right? Like Yes. That has definitely been a buzzword. <laughs> yes. Yes. And that's great. That's great for you and them and us, right? <laughs> yeah. So people are definitely more informed and they know what questions to ask, you know, which is great because I've seen the resources that the CFP board provides on the website. It's like, here's some questions you can ask and people come prepared. They're interviewing you. you know, they're <laughs> yes. Even on the, the let's make a plan, which is part portion on our site where someone can go if you have specific profiles that you're looking for for a CFP professional by 
specialty, geography, gender. There's all kinds of things that you can self-select to help narrow down options for you that best fit your personal needs. So that's that's great to hear, Luis, that it's working. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I love that aspect of the website, too, because you no longer have to look for just a zip code. Yeah. Because the person that's right for you may not be in a zip code. And now, especially after the pandemic, right, people have gotten so used to working remotely, where now it's very common to where I have a lot of clients that I've never actually met in person. And they're comfortable enough to work with a CFP professional over Zoom or whatever. So it's great that you've been able to kind of have people have the ability to search by specialty, <laughs> even if that person isn't in their own zip code. So I, I'm also very excited to see the numbers. Obviously, you know, I would like to see more progress in general, but like we all do, right? But it's good to see like the needle is moving to the yes. right all the time. So yes, there's more Black and African-American CFP professionals, more Hispanic and Latinos, you know. I think younger people are starting to come in, you know, and it's one of the reasons we started the BLX internship program because people are now getting access to direct financial planning, uh -huh. working for an RAA directly, right? As opposed to coming in through a channel that wasn't related to financial planning at all, which I think was in part contributing to people not staying in the industry uh -huh. because some people, not everybody wants to be in a sales role. And when they came in through like, hey, you got to call this many people or produce this, sell this many policies, some people just left, right? And they thought you know, that's what financial planning was. And now they're not here. So yes, to that point, and a couple more things to add to the show notes is the Let's Make a Plan link. Oh, yes. But we also have a career guide document, which spells out 12 different distinct career paths. And to your point, everyone is not necessarily comfortable being externally facing, being in a sales type of role. But for example, fintech is a huge growth area, right, in our profession. So there are specific career paths in fintech. And with your CFP certification, that will only elevate your opportunities in that space. So I do think it's important to let people know there isn't just one path and one way that you can leverage your CFP certification for your career and to help others. So that's really one example that we've seen a lot of increase in the fintech in particular. Yeah, what we do is we're going to share the career guide in the show notes, but also if it isn't already, we'll add it to the resources section of the blxinternship.org website as well. Okay. We have a few things there like the uh, toolkit, for example, so that, that helps a lot of firms that are looking to get involved and just do something and don't know where to start. And then this would be great for CFP candidates as well. So thank you for sharing those resources with us. Yes, absolutely. So the summit sounds really wonderful. What are some of the other DEI initiatives that you're responsible for or that you're working on and kind of what's in the works if you're able to share? So another one that I'm excited about, I think we kind of touched on scholarships earlier, but there's two that I'm particularly excited about. One is Cal R. Davis Scholarship, which was launched last year. For your listeners who may not know, Cal Davis was the first African-American CFP professional. He's also the founder of Quad A, and he has been very instrumental over his career in introducing diverse communities to CFP certification, as well as serving 
people in our community. So last year we launched a scholarship in his name and we were able to award the first group of awardees got their scholarships in the spring from his scholarship, the scholarship in his name. So that was really exciting to see the progression, to see the interest, to see individuals who were contributing. Our base goal was to raise at least $250,000 and we got well over that amount. So we were able to award scholarships to, I believe, 10 individuals. A few weeks ago, we actually had a webinar that the Count Davis attended, as well as a scholarship recipient, some of the firms and individuals who contributed to that scholarship, including Alex Armstrong. I mean, it was a really great opportunity, like a full circle moment where from concept to actual execution, we were able to demonstrate that this is making impact. So the second one is we launched a new scholarship this year for, it's the WIND Scholarship. And as the name infers, it's focused on scholarships for women. The WIND Initiative was actually predates the center and it was started as a specific initiative to increase the number of women in the CFP to be CFP professionals. This year is the 10th year anniversary of WIN. So we have been doing some different networking events, outreach events to raise money for this new WIN scholarship. In fact, in May in Atlanta, we hosted an event where Camila Elliott hosted it, who is our most immediate past board chair, and Liz Miller, who is on our board, attended the event, and it was a really great opportunity to gather some women CFP professionals and some some allies to talk about the WIN initiative itself, about the WIN scholarship. We actually had some individuals who received scholarships from some of our other programs who were there as well. So it was really a great way to elevate that conversation. We are in the process of planning a few more events in the fall to reach out to some individuals in other markets about the WIN scholarship. And our goal is to get to that 250 bar at least before we start awarding scholarships from that pool of money. So that's another thing that I'm currently involved in. Yeah, that's awesome. And yeah, we'll be happy to share those We'll be on the lookout. Uh, we have a newsletter that goes out and also some social media posts. So every time we see this a scholarship, mm-hmm. I'm a CFP board ambassador. So usually I get a window of those as well. I'm just like, yep, we're retweeting this. Yeah. <laughs> we appreciate that. Very yeah. Much. <laughs> that was a big barrier. Like even for me, when I became a CFP professional, I didn't have a company that was going to reimburse me for any of it. Right. So I had to pay. It was probably like a good $7,000 between the coursework the exam and, and the review, right? And so that really helps people. Yes. So we're, we're trying it's to get more candy. It's not the of heart, right? But yeah. it's great reward. But yeah, you have to be diligent. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I'm also excited to see so many schools now offering the financial planning as a major. When I was in school, that was just not a thing, at least not in my school. I never heard anyone majoring in financial planning. And now there's a lot of schools that are providing that, right? So people can actually go to school and this is like a CFP board approved program, right? And yeah, uh, and then take the exam and then eventually obviously get their experience. But it's a much better fast track than 
Yes. <laughs> you know. To that point, Luis, we have north of 200 registered programs. We want more. Wow. We have an individual that was brought on board this year, Phil Dawson, and his his role is primarily identifying and cultivating and launch, helping universities to launch new programs so we can have more opportunities for someone who may have an inkling that they have a path at their university to pursue CFP certification. So we're working on that as well. For the scholarships, I have a few questions. Sure. For some of them, maybe just mention who is eligible to apply. What are the scholarships for, like the education portion of the CFP or the test prep? And then also, in our experience, not a ton of people have applied. I don't know if that's been your experience. So maybe to instill some hope that like there's to to throw your hat in the ring, you never know what could happen. So who are they for? Who's eligible? Like what do they get? And, you know, kind of chances of winning or (laughs) encouragement to apply. There are a multitude of scholarships. We probably have had about 20 scholarship offerings this past spring. So we have two cycles, spring and fall. Most of the scholarships, they all have their own criteria, but most of them do support communities that either the funder or CFP board has determined might benefit from this access to these resources. Most of the dollars, and again, with 20, this is a generalization, most of the scholarships will cover either the cost of the study course, like Luis mentioned, and or to offset the cost of actually sitting from the exam. So there's wide a range of compositions of what is funded. What I will say in terms of your point about people not applying or not thinking that they fit the criteria, there are so many opportunities. And I I do think there could be more people who could benefit from the scholarships if they knew about them. And so part of it is the outreach to the universities, to the registered programs. And even if you're not in a registered program, we also have a lot of career changers. We have people who maybe are coming from teaching or nursing or, or retired military who are seeking a new career. So those resources are also available to them. So I won't say there's dollars left on the table, they kind of get recycled, if you will. But I do think there are more people who could benefit from tapping into that scholarship, those scholarship opportunities. That has been our experience. And, you know, you bring up a great point about career changers. It's such a huge piece. One of the interns that we had on the podcast, Jessica Robertson, she went through the BLX internship program. She did the FPA externship back in 2020. She landed a job with South Bay Financial Partners and After the internship, she got offered a full-time role and she's still there today. And she came from a completely different background. She's a CPA and traditionally she would not have met any of the requirements for these job postings that you see out there, you know? Yeah. So it's so important for companies to be willing to be open-minded enough to know that there are people that have transferable skills that can be brought into our profession because you can teach somebody financial plan software. Like none of us go to school for that anyway, right? Right, right. And there's also what we call an accelerated path for certain certifications like a CPA, where some of the coursework can be bypassed. And so they're only focused on certain elements of the coursework. So that's something else that I think could be more broadly communicated. So people like her would know about 
well, if I do transition into this career, I've kind of leapfrogged some of the things because of my previous credential or previous experience. That's awesome. That fast track is so important too, because obviously as a professional, some people might already have a family and their career is so hard to like, oh, do I have to go back to school, you know? <laughs> right. And you may just only need to do the capstone. You may not need to do all of the other criteria. And there's several different degrees and certifications that fall into that accelerated pathways criteria. So that's something else that I think people would benefit from knowing about. Absolutely. Yeah. And we'll be happy to share those as well, <laughs> because we do have a lot of career changes that come through the program and could definitely benefit from that without a doubt. I know there's a lot of work to be done in our profession in regards to improving DE&I, but just to kind of give some hope or, or paint a picture for maybe just like for the next three years, maybe within your role or at the CFP, how would you define success or progress over the next three years in regards to DE&I? I think, Sean, I would go back to kind of what we spoke about earlier with the leading indicators, the lagging indicators. The more people that we get into the pipeline and keep, to me, that three years from now, I would love to see as many people that came into our industry, our profession are still here. And again, they may not be in the same organization, but to stay within the financial planning profession. In my three-year perfect world, I would also like to see more firms and other entities in the profession really owning DEI in their organization and making sure that the resources to make our profession more inclusive are really embedded in the organization. Luis, you made the point earlier, it shouldn't just be me or you or Sean. Like it should be, in my view, a corporate-wide initiative that really starts from initial planning to execution and not a department or a person. So the more that we can all talk about, not just talk about, but implement DE&I initiatives in our daily activity, I think that will bode well down the road. Now, how you measure that, we'll have to bring in some of the analytic research people. But I do think just being topical, being top of mind, people being aware of the trends, the issues, making sure that we're all tooled up to talk about the profession, to increase the awareness and the engagement, because we're not going to shift the dial unless we all are doing our collective part. So making sure that as we're engaging with career changers or early career people, folks still in college, that we're making sure that they understand the benefits of this profession. One of the things we like to say is you can help others and also help yourself. This is a profession that is about helping people. It also is a profession where you can have compensation to take care of yourself, your family, your community. And I think making sure those messages are more intertwined will be something in three years I'd like to see more and maybe just kind of a foregone conclusion that if you pursue this path, you are aware that you're helping others, you're helping your community, and you're also helping yourself. It is definitely a helping profession. The interns that we interviewed, they both said just how they didn't realize the soft side of our industry. They were thinking like, oh yeah, just numbers, projections, and retirement. And then they're like, no, this is like, you're really helping people and families go through stuff and achieve goals and make decisions. 
So super important. So before I let you go, I just have one last question. So thank you so much, Don, for being here. What is your favorite personal finance tip, concept, or book that you've ever came across? I would say start early. I didn't start as early as others. And I have four adult children. They're all in their 20s. And for one of their birthdays last year, what I gave her was a financial planning course that she took with another CFP professional that has online courses geared towards young millennials. So the thing that I want to do is to give my children and others the resources to make independent choices, smart choices, and have that information at hand sooner rather than later. Of course, there are other ways to do it, books, webinars, podcasts, et cetera. But I felt like the best way that I could help set her up for success is to provide direct access to a CFP professional who is an African-American woman who she could relate to and have some similar values. So my thing is to start early, educate people. All of my friends and family are probably ad nauseum me talking about this, but it's important. It's really important. And the more we can reach people at earlier stages in their life or different stages in their life, the better informed they're going to be for long-term planning. What uh, course was that, if you don't mind sharing? So Lauren Williams, she has an online series that she does that's geared towards young professionals. So I bought it for my daughter's birthday last year. Yeah, we know Lauren. Yeah, shout out to Lauren. I actually had Lauren on my podcast last year. Yeah, so she's amazing. Olympic athlete as well, too. Yeah, she's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> she's amazing. Her, her and Chloe, I think, you know, must have a regular hangout in Atlanta. Oh, yeah, they must. And, you know, actually, Lauren spoke at the Diversity Summit in 2019. And her speech, I mean, she got a standing ovation. It was amazing. I don't know if you have footage from that one. Like I've heard of it. I've heard of yeah, it. Yeah, if you're yeah. able to somehow, if there's a recording, like I, yeah, you got to watch it. It was insane. I'm glad I went before her <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. it would have been very hard I'll to follow. Thunder, that. <laughs> so now when my daughter will mention certain things, you know, and I'm like smiling inside, like, yep, she got it. Like she heard and, you know, so she's making decisions now based on some of that information she was able to glean from participating in Lauren's class. That's amazing. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Donna. We are so happy that you had the time to come and be with us here. All the great initiatives that you're working on. And we would love to continue to stay in touch. Anything that we can share with our public and our newsletter about opportunities and, and all the great work you're doing, including the summit. So for those of you listening, check out the show notes because we're going to have a link directly to the white paper, the summit the letsmakeaplan.org website, and also the career guide. So thank you so much. Really appreciate all the hard work you're doing. And we look forward to continue to help move the dial, right? So <laughs> thank you so much. Appreciate the time. Thank you, Dot. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. If you have any questions for us, visit blxintership.org or send us an email at info at blxintership.org. And stay tuned for further great episodes with just some great lineup of guests such as Dawn. Thank you and have a great day, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Diversity in Action podcast. To learn more about the BLX internship program and sign up for our newsletter, please visit our website at blxinternship.org.